just a clarification for what's going on today after services immediately after services the tribe leaders are as was mentioned going to be meeting in that back room um, here on the first floor but at 2 p.m everyone who is getting ready helping out for the setting up of vbs will meet back over here get your work clothes on and then i think there's some that's going to be going over the 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 daily play the skit part of that is that correct okay so good all right we just read out of Revelation chapter 1, and, and I'll bring this point out in the sermon itself, but um, as read in the New King James translation, maybe different in your translation, and I'll get to the reason why, I think, but, but here it says, we're made kings and priests. And of course, there's nothing in the Bible that says explicitly that we are made kings and priests like Melchizedek. Right, But Melchizedek was king and priest. And here we are in the New King James and King James and, and a couple of other translations saying we're made as kings and priests. And I want us to look at this and see the correlation between we as children of God today and that mysterious man named Melchizedek. He's mysterious because many of us don't know anything about him other than just a few things that scripture reads but he's not as mysterious as maybe um, is intended by the Hebrew author. But there's some things that I believe are absolutely beautiful that I'm hoping that we get to see in his life that belong to us as kings and priests today. So in Hebrews chapter 7, I want you to open your Bibles to the text there. And also look at the life of this very mysterious person, the way he is personified as a mysterious person. And very intentionally so by the Hebrew author. Read with me. Beautiful, beautiful text. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 1. This Melchizedek, of whom he was talking about from what we call chapter 5, that Christians were having difficulty understanding from this Hebrews standpoint. The author is like, I've got some stuff I want to talk to you about. I'm having difficulty relaying this information because you are dull of hearing. But then he goes ahead and talks about him anyway. And that's what he says. This Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, First, being translated king of righteousness and then also king of Salem, which means king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the son of God, remains a priest continually. Now, consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils and indeed those who are of the sons of Levi who receive the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law that is from their brethren though they have come from the loins of Abraham but he whose genealogy is not derived from when re, re, derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises now beyond all contradiction the lesser is blessed by the better here 
mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is written that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Therefore, if perfection through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. We'll stop right there. There's more that could be said naturally about Melchizedek, but I think we've got the, the understanding of what the Hebrew writer, or at least we should by this point, what the Hebrew writer is trying to get at. So when we're looking at this Melchizedek, the Hebrew author says there was no father, mother, or genealogy about him. Now, let that sink in. If you don't have a mother or a father, what kind of birth do you have? Sounds like there's no birth at all. And if there was any kind of birth, it would have to be some miraculous thing. And I think the last time we checked in Scripture, there was only one birth like that. Our Savior's. No genealogy. Which, if you don't have genealogy, then there's not going to be any record of who your parents are or who your children are. And I believe that is the intention of the Hebrew author. He is mystifying Melchizedek because there is some likenesses between him and Jesus. And so the Hebrew author does these on purpose. In fact, Scripture says he was made like the Son of Man and that he remains a priest continually because, well, if there's no genealogy, there's no ending to his life. So the question then is, who's this guy, right? That's what the Hebrew author wants to get. He wants to mystify this person. The reality, however, is he's not that mysterious. He's made mysterious for a very intentional reason. And I want us to see that. See, when we go back to Hebrews chapter 7, when we go to Genesis chapter 14, you could even back up to chapter 13, but Genesis chapter 14, when there's actual dialogue between Abraham and Melchizedek, here scripture says he was a priest of God most high. Here's a human being that is interacting with another human being called Abraham. So he's got to be born. And unless... Other scripture would bring that point out that, you know, he was not born of, of woman. That would have been very significant, which is spoken of Jesus that way, right? Born of woman, uh, virgin, 
right? Born of the Spirit of God. We get scriptures that make us question, well, then how was Jesus really born? You know, of a virgin? How is that possible? It's miraculous. Nothing is said of Melchizedek in this light. And so here is a person who would go the way of death like all other men, but because it's not written down for us, there's this mysteriousness to him. And again, it's intentional by the author. Here's what I want you to focus in on. His name, Melchizedek, means king of righteousness. Now consider that. It stands out from all other kings around that area. Abraham and Lot are living in this area that is well known for ungodliness. And in the midst of all this ungodliness, geographically speaking, is this king of righteousness. He had his kingdom set on a hill. And that hill is known as a kingdom of peace. It was the forerunner to what we refer to as Jerusalem, right? So here is this king who exerts a righteous king or a righteousness about his rulership and one who would keep peace. It is a beautiful kingdom if you went to his kingdom. It would be a place of solace compared to surrounding areas. And the surrounding areas are everyone, every man for himself, may the best man win, right? If I can beat you up, I can take your spoils. That's the kingdoms around this area of peace. That's the picture given here. The Hebrew author is wanting to make a point about our king and priest in Jesus. That he has a better kingdom. He rules with righteousness and he rules desiring peace just like Melchizedek. And so he's going to labor through and make what is difficult for others to get, hopefully a little bit easier to make those dot connections, by showing the parallels between this person in Melchizedek, who was a priest and who was a king, with Jesus Christ, who is a priest and king. So that's what we see here in the scriptures. So from that vantage point then, he's not so mysterious, but he's made to be mysterious so that we get to see the connections between him and the one who truly does not have any father or mother here on earth, so to speak, but was truly born of the Spirit of God. And so by the time of the first century, this particular psalm that King David wrote, Psalm 110, becomes very important in the the theology of Judaism. I want us to go back to that psalm. I want us to read Psalm 110. In fact, it's not that long for us to kind of get the whole picture here, particularly the first few verses. But look at, re- look at um, Psalm 110 with me and read it with me and see how this psalm took on a very messianic tone and, of course, used in New Testament um, arenas in teaching who Jesus Christ was as the Messiah. So says here in Psalm 110, a Psalm of David, announcement of the Messiah's reign as it was later known um, in centuries past. Yahweh said to my Lord or my King, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Yahweh shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. 
rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power in the beauties of holiness. From the womb of the morning, you have the day or the dew of your youth. Yahweh has sworn, sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink of the brook by the wayside. And therefore, he shall lift up the head. Not the prettiest ending to the psalm, especially as we read things like this. And it sounds so beautiful at the beginning end. This is a king that's going to rule and reign. He's going to rule with his power, but his power is based upon righteousness. His rule is one that seeks for peace. That's the picture given in this psalm. And as the centuries had passed after David wrote it, it was attributed to the Messiah. So that by the first century, anyone that would read this particular psalm would look for the day in which the Messiah would rule and reign over Israel and note that this Messiah is going to be a priest forever. Just like this background or backdrop to Melchizedek. There was no record of his genealogy. There's no record of mom or dad. All they had was this guy was in a place known as Zion, known as the city of David, known as the place of the Jebusites, known as the kingdom of peace with the king of peace. That's the picture and the greatness that the Hebrew author wants his readers to get. So what does that have to do with us? Right? I mean, if you're reading this today, you're wondering, okay, cool, neat guy. We, we can't verify much about his life, but so what? What's important is we are made into a kingdom of priests. That's very important. You see, the role of a priest is likened unto the role of the high priest. Our role is mediators. Isn't that the role of priests? To mediate between sinful man and a holy God. Why do you suppose I stress so much as an evangelist on evangelism? Because every one of us in this room are mediators to the world. And unfortunately, too many have this mindset of just, just the pure Christianity. And I know I've preached many times that's just not true Christianity, right? It's not limited to that. But if we become dull of hearing, we forget our roles. We forget our primary role as children of God. And our primary role is to mediate, is to bring good news to the lost. The role within the body of Christ is to build up the body of Christ, right? And so this is the picture that is given, that we have been made to have peace with God. That's what happens when we are saved from our sins. We now have peace with God. And we live a life of peace, but we're made to reign. 
We're made to rule. But not like those around us. Not like those 14 kings that surrounded Sodom and Gomorrah. That took Lot and all the others and took their spoils. Our rule is different. Ours is likened unto the order of the priesthood of Melchizedek. Where we rule with peace. And we rule with righteousness. Now if you don't think about anything else, consider these passages that talk to us about how we rule because in fact, scripture makes that very clear. So how many of you actually have a different translation other than the New King James or King James? Because I don't think anyone has a common English here. So that, that, okay, that's a decent amount here. So if you notice, if you go back to Revelation chapter one, read that text with me and then we'll read Revelation five and we'll read Revelation 20 and then we'll get into some other passages that will make this point. In fact, particularly 2 Timothy. But notice, Revelation chapter 1, again, verse 6. Here's the King James translation. And it'll read differently again in most of the other modern translations. Let me back up to verse 5. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood has made us kings and priests to his holy God and Father. Now again, translation difficulty because many translations will say and made us a kingdom or made for us a kingdom where we serve as priests. Hold on to your hats, though. When we look at this text and we get to Revelation 5, it's going to be very similar to this passage. And Revelation 20 will expound a little bit more. Let's see if we can make sense of what this phrase is. Are we, in fact, have a kingdom made for us? Yes. But are we, in fact, made as kings? Are we made as rulers? Well, let's look. Chapter 5. Here's a picture in verse 1, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I, straw, I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seal? That's the question. Going further to verse 8. When he, speaking of the, the Son of God or the Lamb had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal, for you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood. And out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation have made us kings and priests to our God. We shall reign on the earth. That's the picture. In this vision is a picture of how we are made. And again, the translation, if you have a American standard, if you have the ESV, uh, can't think of many other translations, maybe the Holman, I have not saw the Holman Christian Standard, but some of these translations will say, made us a kingdom and to be priests. Again, the New King James, King James, and, and some other translations will say, no, we are made kings and priests. Made to reign, as the latter part of verse 10 says, 
on the earth. All right. Fast forward to chapter 20. And I want us to see here what is being said. So here's this picture in in John's vision where he says in verse 1, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. This is the rulership of our Christ. And he cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up, set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones. There's this picture of of rulership, right? I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, had not received his marks on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ thousand years. There's this picture in this vision, in John's vision throughout, from chapter 1, introductory, through chapter 5, and at the very end here in chapter 20. And for all that imagery in this vision, the picture is one of great hope for believers. And the great hope is, while the world is, is being deceived, you've got those who are ruling with him, with Christ on earth, so to speak. That's the picture of us. For all the debates that go on, this is how I would read the scripture. And if these are difficult, here's what's not difficult along with other New Testament passages. It is a trustworthy statement. This is not apocalyptic type writing. Very clear. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we also will reign with him. That's the picture of our lives. It's a huge connection, and it's very vitally important to our walk with Jesus. We're not the kind of rulers that lord it over other people's lives. We're the kind of rulers made in the image of Jesus. And the kind of rule that Jesus has is he invites people into the kingdom. He seeks and saves the lost. And we, following in the footsteps of Jesus, invite people into the kingdom of our Lord. We reign with him in in that vantage point. We make judgment, yes. But it's not belonging to us. It belongs to our God who called us to go into the world and seek and save the lost. Otherwise, can you imagine telling the person who needs to be saved, I'm not judging you. Have any of us actually said, I'm not judging you. The Lord is judging you. Well, we're reigning with him. We are telling them, you are, according to scripture, according to truth, according to Jesus, you're lost. And it directly comes from him, but we reign with Jesus Christ and we make that judgment as well. But how do we make that judgment? We make it by seeking peace. That's the whole point of our rulership is to live with righteousness and to seek peace. Sometimes we go from one extreme to the other. I don't want to talk to them about the gospel or I'm going to hit them over the head with the gospel. We got that middle ground, the one that's reigning with truth, the one has love and compassion for our neighbor that we spoke of last week, right? If we're going to do things the way of Jesus, right? People who are of the way, 
They were willing to die for the cause of Christ. That's what this passage here in Revelation 20 is dealing with in this vision, right? The heads of the saints beheaded, they're reigning with Christ. And so are we if we endure, is what we're told. What we need to see from passages like this, and the whole reason why the Hebrew author in Hebrews chapters 5, 6, 7, and even implied in some part of 8, is the fact that we live like Melchizedek because we belong to Jesus Christ, who rules in the order of Melchizedek, as a priest, mediating on behalf of those who would come to make contact with the blood of Jesus and have a relationship with God. And like royalty, we live protecting fellow citizens in righteousness. I mean, that's, that's how we reign, right? We, we see injustice in this world, and what do we seek? Justice. But not on our terms, not like young Moses seeking vengeance of, on his own accord, but doing things through the one who died for us. Using that heavenly wisdom, we live like royalty. And we live with righteousness, justice, mercy. And we also live as a ruler with a genuine desire for peace among fellow men. And those that come into the kingdom of our Lord, that's how we live. I want you to stop and consider, if you don't live this way, you're in sin. Because in the kingdom of our Lord, that's how we are supposed to live as kings and priests. And when there's fighting, backbiting, gossip, whispers, right? We don't do things as God's word teaches us, right? Go to each other, work things out. And we fail to live truly as God intended us. When the Hebrew author was going through what we now call Hebrews chapter 7, he wanted them to get the picture of who Melchizedek was so that people would understand, these Jewish believers would understand that the priesthood and the kingship of Jesus is so far greater than the rule that they had even in the days of King David or in the, rule, the ruleship as priests from that of Aaron's. But the reality is the the consequence, the, the lay of um, the, the practical application of who we are in Christ Jesus is found in chapter 11 by faith. And discipline in chapter 12 of how we live by faith. But it's because of who we are in Christ. His priesthood, his kingship. And that is why... We're able to reign with Christ and live as priests and kings, if you will, in the order of Melchizedek. Not your typical kind of sermon. It's not easy to connect these dots, but it's, it's there. It's not mysterious, right? A mystery is, is only mysterious until you unlock it. <laughs> when you look inside, it's like, ah, oh, that's what it is. It's easy to get. This should be easy for us to understand should be useful for us to understand how we ought to live by faith in Christ. That's the calling. Very simple. But it's one that we need to live. 
if you're here this morning and you're not living this way, that's God made for us to live this way. He's intended for us to live this lifestyle where we can reign with our Savior. And if you want to live this way, come to him. He will make you into his image. He will conform you into his image if you humble yourself meekly and you give yourself, your body, a living sacrifice like he did and you will reign with him. You have all the blessings that are found in Christ Jesus. If you need to turn to the Lord to have your sins washed away, the baptismal right here is ready for you to do that. If you confess that Jesus is the Christ and willing to acknowledge him as such and to turn to him with your life. Why don't you do that as together we stand and sing?